0: Good morning and welcome to Alternative News, produced by the Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament, broadcasting from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people on 3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. My name is Zachary Dony, CICD member and hospitality worker, and I'll be playing some audio clips from last week's Politics in the Pub discussion Entitled, Can Australia Have an Independent Foreign Policy? With guest speaker Dr Margaret Beavis of the Medical Association for Prevention of War. Politics in the Pub Melbourne is a new initiative led by peace activists, unionists and politically active members of the public. If you are interested in helping former Politics in the Pub committee, please contact Romina at peace at. CICD.org.au or on zero four one four three five two five four two. The full audio and video of the event can be found on CICD's Facebook page or the Politics in the Pub Facebook page. Look for the grey background with a red circle and white rectangles. Links to these pages will be included on the Alternative News podcast page, which you can find at 3cr.org.au slash Alternative News. Now let's hear some clips from the event and discuss if it's possible for Australia to have an independent foreign policy. Up first, we have Romina introducing the event and the speaker.
1: The subject of um, the event this evening is can Australia have an independent foreign policy and how can we do that? Australia's ruling class has always sought support from foreign powers, now, which before World War II was Britain. Following the fall of Singapore in 1942 and the withdrawal of British forces from the east, um, the Australian government changed Australia's loyalty from Britain to the US. In 1950, Australia followed the US into the disastrous Korean War. Next was the Vietnam War. In 2001, Australia followed the US into Afghanistan, followed by Iraq in 2003 and Syria in 2014. In 2019, Australia once again did the bidding of the US by committing to participate in the uh, shipping uh, protection force in the Strait of Hormuz. So who better than uh, uh, to talk about this topic than Dr. Margaret Beavis. Uh, Dr. Margaret Beavis is a GP um, with over 25 years experience in community medicine. Her research, writing and teaching interests include nuclear weapons, nuclear waste and the nuclear industry. weapons industry. She is uh, also interested in the Australian government uh, spending on uh, defence, diplomacy and foreign aid and how Australia decides to go to war. Dr Margaret Beavis is Vice President of the Medical Association for Prevention of War and Co-Chair of ICANN. Back to you, Zach.
0: As I mentioned before, I'm going to play clips from the event First, one we hear is about jobs. Here's Dr. Beavis.
2: The subsidising of the military uh, weapons manufacture is justified as jobs, 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 jobs and growth. We've all heard it. This is a complete fallacy. If you actually look at the, the research, when you spend a billion dollars on a particular industry, if you spend it on health and education, both of those will get more than double the amount of jobs if you spend it on weapons manufacturer. And similarly, renewable energy, I think, is about 40%, so 140% increase, nearly half as many jobs again. So all these three areas, if the government is choosing to throw subsidies to create jobs, they're getting very poor value out of weapons manufacture.
0: We assume here Margaret is referring to a study done by the Kosovo Project at Brown University. Margaret is going from memory here and says there is a 40% increase in jobs from renewables investment. The figure is a 21% increase in jobs for wind energy development per $1 million invested. She is right in saying that education investments create almost double the jobs per $1 million invested, the figure being an increase of 178%. In a time where there's one job for every 18 job seekers, the government should invest money wisely in industries that are more cost-effective at producing jobs, such as renewables, infrastructure, and especially healthcare and education.
2: What's also really um, insidious, and people, I think, are increasingly becoming aware of this, is the place of the weapons industry in education. As state education and certainly tertiary education gets increasingly starved of funds, the um, weapons companies have stepped in to offer prizes at secondary level and education systems, um, subsidies. And then at tertiary level, they, um, for instance, in Melbourne, but I know it happens in Sydney and many other universities, They have multi-million dollar partnerships where they sponsor and pay for scholarships for PhD students and then get the research. And this is really compromising, particularly in the Melbourne example, it's Lockheed Martin, which is the biggest weapons manufacturer in the world and very closely tied with nuclear weapons systems.
0: This is big news to me. Dr Beavis is talking about Australia's Defence Science Partnerships Programme that partners universities with defence and national security agencies on collaborative research projects. Dr Beavis' example of this partnerships is Lockheed Martin, world's largest weapons manufacturer, in their partnership with University of Melbourne. This is a company that fuels the war in Yemen by supplying weapons to Saudi Arabia, and also to Israel that fuels their settler colonial project against the Palestinians. Our universities are now complicit in these activities and produce research that is favourable for weapons manufacturers and imperialist conflict. It is also worth mentioning that the US-Australia International Multidisciplinary University Research Initiative, this is a project that facilitates international research between American and Australian universities, with the US Department of Defence at its core. Australian universities are eligible for a grant of up to $3 million through the program, subject to approval by the US Department of Defence's University Research Initiative. Between Australia's Defence Science Partnerships Program and the US-Australia Research Initiative, our universities are tied up with the US Department of Defence and multinational weapons manufacturers.
2: So Australia was the fourth highest weapons importer in 2018, and just as announcements has happened in the last couple of days, we seriously risk starting a regional arms race. This belligerent right-wing rhetoric of um, enhancing fear in the community to justify the purchases, um, it's really uh, very concerning what's happening.
0: In 2018, we were the fourth largest importer of weapons, but now we are the world's second biggest importer of weapons, second only to Saudi Arabia. Why do we need this many weapons?
2: Um, I found out a few years ago that, in fact, we have a senior major general and other senior Australian military people in the chain of command in the Pacific. So the top person is a US person. The second person in command, answering to the top person, is an Australian. So we're actually enmeshed in the US chain of command. This means if the US decides to go to war, we're already in their fighting machine. The other... uh, Piece of astounding enmeshment is the fact that our oil reserves are in, the, in America. How on earth we think that in a, in a war situation those oil reserves are going across the Pacific to come to us is just laughable and it's just another piece of tying us into the US war machine.
0: It makes sense for us to be able to coordinate with our military allies. What seems to be happening though is that we have let our military alliance with the United States become a unilateral affair. In which we follow at their every beck and call. We cannot exercise an independent foreign policy because our military affairs are so tightly interwoven with those of the United States. An example of this are the activities coordinated through Pine Gap.
2: With Pine Gap, when Australia was fighting in Iraq and was fighting in Afghanistan, a lot of that signals intelligence went through Pine Gap. Pine Gap is controlled by the Americans So our military missions were in fact under the control of the Americans by default.
0: Also, Pine Gap is used to commit atrocities overseas. The bloodbath in Yemen is further inflamed by US drone strikes, coordinated through Pine Gap.
2: Of big concern, and uh, as Romana mentioned in her introduction, Pine Gap is used to target drone, drone strikes. It does um, mean that Australia is culpable in these stone strikes which are effectively extrajudicial killings where um, both people, suspects, have no due process, there's no court of law, there's no hearing, and also the um, people around those suspects, there have been many civilian deaths documented and Australia is part of this.
0: While we're on the topic of Yemen... Thanks to our government using taxpayer money to subsidise multinational weapons manufacturers, our taxpayer money goes directly to murdering the Yemeni people.
2: The government is heavily subsidising weapons companies now, even though most of them are Australian branches of very wealthy multinationals. There's a $3.8 billion loan subsidy scheme, and in addition to that, there are a uh, Direct grants to companies, for instance, and a lot of these we don't know about. The one we do know about that did get some publicity was $38 million given to EOS Weapon Systems in Canberra. This company makes uh, gun emplacements that have rocket fires, rocket launchers and guns that can be placed on top of an armoured vehicle so that people don't have to stand outside the armoured vehicle to fight them. It can be fired remotely. And it's somewhat revolting. that $38 million of our taxpayers' money went to... Uh, a weapon system that was then exported to the US and then exported to Yemen, despite supposedly good arms control measures preventing Australia selling weapons to places where there are uh, human rights violations.
0: And last but not least...
2: Um, Pine Gap is also used for nuclear weapons targeting. Boo. I think it's really important in any war situation that we talk about the undue influence of the weapons industry. We need to address that and there's ways to address that. And there's sort of half-hearted measures sort of being talked about in Canberra, which would be good, but they're being done very badly. For instance, lobbying. It came out earlier this week that the, the government's promises to keep a lobbying register, that Auditor General has been given a scathing report to say that they're not keeping a proper record of who is lobbying our parliamentarians. And really, lobbying is very important because successful lobbying basically means that our vested interests triumph over public interest. Similarly, donations, more than half of the donations that are made in Australia are opaque. We need urgent need, transparent, real-time donation reporting. In America, you know about donations within two weeks from being given. In Australia, it can take up to 14, 18 months. It's very poor, and often these donations are hidden by the use of the foundations.
0: Yes, yeah, so we can't understand the full influence of weapons industry lobbying and donations if we haven't addressed lobbying and do not have effective donations reporting mechanism. Dr. Beavis' examples of the U.S.'s reporting system versus ours are interesting, but obviously this donation system hasn't stopped the U.S. from militarising the world in their interests. And I think this point continues into to Margaret's next point, which is war powers reform.
2: War powers reform is terribly important. There's too many times that Australia has gone to war because it's politically convenient. Um, the current process rests with the Prime Minister and the Executive. Um, in the US and the UK and a number of other countries, both Houses of Parliament come together when war is complicated. They debate what's happening, they debate what the information is, and then they vote. Andrew Wilkie, as you all know, the Tasmanian Independent MP, resigned over what poor quality intelligence there was for the Iraq war, and he was, of course, proved right in the end.
0: As we can... Understand from the examples given, war powers reform is no panacea to Australia's lack of independent foreign policy. It is part of a program of changes which include, as Dr. M- as Dr. Beavis tells us,
2: diplomacy is the key to peace. It's not terribly exciting. You don't, if you prevent a conflict, you don't see very much, but it's hugely cost-effective and a really worthwhile investment. We need electoral reform. What I think we're really talking about is strategic independence. At the moment, we have strategic dependence and it's not strategic at all. We need an independent foreign policy so we're not dragged yet again into yet another US war.
0: The Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament stands firmly against US wars and stands firmly for a non-aligned and independent foreign policy. So thanks to Margaret for coming on to the first Politics in the Pub We're very grateful. As I said earlier, if you're interested in being part of the committee to organise politics in the pub, please reach out to peacecentre at cicd.org.au. The links will be on the podcast write-up. Thanks for listening to Alternative News, broadcast on 3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital, and streaming online at 3cr.org.au. I've been Zachary Doney. Up next, we've got Concrete Gang.